Hi, and welcome to episode 8 of Rambling About Greek Mythology, a lax podcast where I just talk about a lot of Greek mythology. So today's episode will be the quote-unquote final episode of this first season, where we'll just be doing our first random myth segment. What this means is, is we'll be discussing various myth stories that we most likely will not get to touch on with great depth at any point. Um, They have no order uh, to them, but they do have some significance as in they're probably good stories to know. But at the same time, I've also thrown in a couple stories where I'm like, eh, not as important to know, just kind of fun fact. So treat them as you will. Uh, I'll try to point out which ones I think are really important to know as opposed to like a random fact. So in order today, we will go over Akakalis, Akakos, Akademos, Akron, Admiti, Admitus, Aikmagoras, Aegypius, Aegyptus and Danaeus, they're like one pairing, Aethila, Agamedes and Trophonius, another pairing, Agron, Alalcomenus, Alcathous, Alcon, Alebion and Ligus, another pairing, and Aleus. So you'll notice this is alphabetical as I'm just going through the two dictionaries I've cited already in the description to pick these stories out. It will be a lot. It is a lot of stories with a lot of parentage to keep in mind just to give you more context, but I hope it will be a lot of fun fun along the way. Let's not wait any longer, and let's dive right in. So the first story we're doing is Akakalis. So, she is a daughter of Minos, son of Zeus and Europa, and Pasiphae, daughter of Helios and Perseus. Now, there are two versions in her story. So first, by Hermes, she bore the eponymous Sidon, uh, just like of the Sidonians. And then, by Apollo, she either bore Naxos, uh, eponymous for the island, and Miletus, the father of Byblus and Kaunas, whom we talked about earlier. So in this version, she had fled to the woods to bear him and had to abandon him, and some she-wolf suckled him till shepherds found him and raised him. Or, while pregnant by Apollo, she was banished to Libya by her father. There, she bore Amphithemis slash Garamas, those are like equivalent names. The main significance is that he was the father of Nasamon and Cephaurus slash Cephalion by Tritonis. The latter child is said to have been killed by the Argonauts for his sheep as he had killed two of them trying to rob him. But yeah, like those, like just in the story already, we're starting to see like the various versions that occur within uh, myth stories and specifically with the Kefaurus Kefalion story, we'll get to talk about it in more depth later as to who the Argonauts are uh, that died at him. But yeah, that is pretty much Akakalis' story. She can also be known as Akakale. Um, that is another acceptable form of her name. Next, we have Akakos. He is the son of the infamous Lycaon, son of Pelasgus, the original Arcadian guy, and Silene slash Meliboya. All he is notable for is that he was possibly the foster father of Hermes. These are always interesting to note because uh, these areas and regions are claiming that, oh, this mythological figure of our people actually raised this Olympian, this god. And that's like really significant, right? So that's a big claim to make, especially if it gets established. Hence, they do it. Then we have Akademus. So this man... Um, is just known as a hero in Attic, which means Athenian legend. He is said to have told Castor and Pollux exactly where Theseus was said to have kidnapped and hidden the child of Leda and Tyndareus, Helen, 
which was in the small town called Ephidnai. So this is like a weird version of the story where Theseus and his friend uh, Perithous were like, we're going to both marry daughters of Zeus. And Perithous chose Persephone, which really did not go well. And Theseus chose Helen. And so they kidnapped her at like the age of eight, I want to say. Um, or 13, one of the two. It's, it's a very uh, questionable story. And so he hid her in Ephidnai. Um, so Academus helped Castor and Pollux, Helen's brothers, to find her. So Academus's tomb is said to be where Plato actually established his academy, although sometimes it is said that this is, this is actually derived from Echidamus, an Arcadian who was alongside Castor and Pollux during their search for Helen. So again, you're already seeing the conflict of versions and different naming systems and wondering, okay, who has the actual claim in this story? So yeah, this happens a lot, uh, but it shouldn't be super, super hard to catch. I mean, the difference between Akademus and Echidamus is very notably minimal, um, so hopefully it's not too bad. Next, we have Akron. So Akron was the king of the Sabine town Kynina. After the rape of the Sabines, a famous story in like Roman myth slash history, he was said to have been the first person to take up arms against Romulus, Romulus being the like first king of Rome. He then dueled Romulus and died to him. Romulus then stripped the corpse of its armor and dedicated it to Jupiter Ferretrinus on the Capitoline Hill. This was the origin of the ceremony of the Spolia Opima. So it's like a famous uh, ceremony where the two commanders of like opposing armies, one obviously being the Roman and the other being, I guess, whoever they're fighting, could duel um, to kind of like settle the entire dispute and so Romulus actually started the ceremony. There are like a couple of people eventually I'm pretty sure Claudius Marcellus at some point gets it. Don't really remember though too well um, but that's just like, this is like kind of Akron is one of the many examples of like the myth clashing with history as we start to see like okay, like what's, is this really a myth story? Is this a historical story? What's going on here? Anyways, next we have Admeti. So, Admeti was the daughter of Eurystheus, the son of Sthenelus and Nicippe, and Antimache, daughter of Amphidamas. So, Eurystheus is the cousin of Heracles, and he's also by Sthenelus, the descendant of Perseus. So he's the king of Tyrans, um, slash like Mycenae, slash Argos, whichever one we want to use, I guess. Although they are different places, but I think he consolidates the rule. So, Admeti was a priestess of Hera at Argos. Um, in some legends, Heracles' ninth labor, um, the obtaining of the girdle of Hippolyta, the Amazonian queen, was for her. Uh, so she performed her religious duties for 50 years before her father died, after which she fled to Samos, taking the cult sta statue of Hera with her. So the reason she had to flee was because of the whole conflict of Eurystheus versus the Heraclids, and once Eurystheus died, he kind of lost power, and she was, you know, she was afraid of dying herself, because she'd just probably get killed by the Heraclids. So, in Samos, she discovered a very ancient shrine of Hera, uh, established by, like, I believe the Lelegians and some other people, and uh, she established the statue there. The Argive people, though, did not like how she had taken the statue and hired Tyrrhenian pirates to go search for it, and when they took it from the temple, as it had no door apparently, 
They found they could not set off from the shore because the goddess willed so, so the statue wanted to remain on Samos. So, they left it on the shore and then just dipped. Admeti then came and found it and purified it and stuff before bringing it back to the temple, which is why there's a constant tradition where the Samian people bring it to the shore to be cleaned and purify once a year. So this type of like story, um, specifically the whole purification and bringing back of how this tradition forms, is not super uncommon. Uh, in Climacus's hymn to Athena, actually, there is a similar story that goes on with the Palladium, um, the statue that I just don't know if a statue is supposed to like a big block, but anyways, it's like this object that uh, Athena had fashioned out of her friend Pallas, the son of or the daughter of Triton, who she had killed. And Argos was said to have had it after Diomedes and Odysseus uh, retrieved it from Troy. And they would once a year go to the shore, like the banks of some river and wash it and clean it before bringing it back. So this type of tradition is not super uncommon. Then next, we have Admetus. So Admetus is actually a really important story to know. Admetus is eh, kind of important to know. The rest have been more or less just fun facts for now. Admetus, he was a king of Pharae in Thessaly. He was a son of Pharaohs, the original founder of Pharae, and Periclymene, the daughter of Minyas. He partook in the Caledonian boar hunt and the journey of the Argonauts, since he and Jason are cousins. And Admetus ended up falling in love with Alcestis, the oldest daughter of Pelias. Uh, son of Pelias being the son of Poseidon and Tyro, and Anaxibia. Uh, so Pelias and Anaxibia are the parents of Alcestis, who's the daughter of Bias, son of Amytheon, who is the son of Cretheus and Tyro. So we can already see an issue of relationships between people who are producing children. And uh, Bias is the son of Amytheon and Idomene. She's the daughter of fairies, fairies being the father of Admetus, or Philomache the daughter of Amphion, son of Zeus and Antiope. So we can already see this family is like way too interwoven uh, for my taste. I guess already most families are, but this is a bit too much, you know, like in myth, there's like some level of like, okay, I guess. And then this is just awful. So Admetus ended up seeing and like falling in love with Alcestis because he, he was part of the entourage with Jason who went to Pelias to claim his like rightful claim to the throne. We'll talk about that when we get to Jason's story. But, although Admetus had fallen in love with Alcestis and was a king, Peleus required that whomever was to marry her should have a chariot drawn by a wild boar and a lion yoked together. Luckily for Admetus, Apollo was condemned by Zeus to serve for a mortal for a year, and he had chosen the pious and kind Admetus. Apollo, having been treated so well, already had all of Admetus' cattle bear twins, but he also got this combo yoked together, and Admetus successfully won Alcestis' hand. During the marriage rites, Admetus, like a bingus, forgot to pay proper honors to Artemis, so when they went into the bridal room, they found it filled with snakes. After Apollo explained what happened, Admetus hastily paid respects. Then, Alcestis bore to him Eumelus and Perimeli. Then, Admetus fell super, super ill, and Apollo, being the loyal companion he is, got the fates slash Moirai slash Parkai drunk and bargained a deal where someone could die in place of him. This almost never occurs. Um, the fates are very stringent, very strict about how they uh, cut people's lifespans, but Apollo got them drunk somehow. 
So both his old-aged parents refused, and the only person who was willing was Alcestis, his loyal and truly awesome wife. Then she went to the underworld, as she took his place. Heracles coincidentally stopped by Admetus' place as they were both Argonauts, and while being hosted, he noticed how Admetus was super sad and found out what happened. Immediately, Heracles being a complete bro, went and wrestled Thanatos, the god of death, so you don't have to really deal with Hades as opposed to Thanatos, the god of death, and got her back. Or, in some other versions, which are a bit more lame, but I guess a bit more like righteous maybe, um, Persephone was very impressed by Alcestis and her like self-sacrifice and sent her back to the world of the living to be with Admetus. So this is like a pretty important story to know. It's also a pretty cool story. There's a lot of interesting details here and there. Um, Eumelus and Primly are also kind of important people that we will get to talk about later in terms of just like general myth and uh, fleshing out the whole realm. But yeah, this is just a fun little story to know. Next, we have Eikmagoras. This story is kind of silly. So he was the son of Fialo, daughter of Alcamede of Arcadia by Heracles. So Alcamede is apparently a guy. Um, usually in myth, I would say the naming system's pretty straightforward as to who's a guy and who's a girl. Um, but yeah, apparently he's a guy. So Alcamede had Fialo expose the child to die and abandon them both on a mountain. Eikmagoras, as he was a baby, was wailing, and a nearby jay heard the baby wailing and tried to imitate the cry. Heracles coincidentally heard these cries and came to the place where he found both his lover and son. He freed them both and saved them both. A neighboring spring got the name Kissa, uh, which is the spring of the jay. So that's just like a fun little random story to know. It's shown up on myth tests from time to time, and it's like, this is just such a random story that seems to not really connect to the rest of like myth in a good, well-mannered way. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much that. Next, we have Aegipius. Aegipius was the son of Antheus and Bulis. So he had a mistress named Tamandra, who had a son named Neophron, who was consumed with jealousy and set up Aegipius to sleep with his mother, Bulis, thinking he was sleeping with his mistress, Tamandra. I don't know what's wrong with this man. When Bulis realized the crime that had taken place, she wanted to tear Aegipius' eyes out, but Zeus took pity upon them and turned the whole family into birds. Aegipius and Neophron became vultures. Bulis, a diver bird, said to eat the eyes of its prey, actually, so kind of fitting, and Tamandra, a tit. So yeah, this is kind of another, like, Random story doesn't seem to connect too well to like all of myth as opposed to just a just a story, honestly. Um, as to the significance, I'm not really sure myself, but yeah, like once again, kind of a trivial story as opposed to something to really be all focused on. Next, we have Aegyptus and Danaeus. So they are the twin brothers who were children of Belus and Ankinoe. Belus gave Aegyptus the land of Arabia. He proceeded to conquer the Melampodes, which just means black feet, and founded the land called Egypt. Belus gave to Danaeus Libya. Aegyptus had 50 sons, as Danaeus had 50 daughters, by various wives, both of them, and he asked to have his sons marry Danaeus' daughters. I will add the pairings in a Google Doc that I speak of so often and actually put it up, 
because there are so many, and I just don't want to list them all out. And Danea saw right through this trap to get all of Velus's land, and he, with the help of Athena, made the first two-proud vessel and set sail with his daughters to Argos, the homeland of their ancestor Io. Allegedly, they stopped at Lindos in Rhodes and dedicated a famous, famous statue to Athena. Eventually, they landed at Apobathmi, near the famous Lerna, and made their way to Argos. While there, Danaeus had his daughter search for water, and a famous story comes from this. So now, a little digression. So the reason, first of all, for this uh, need to search for water was because Poseidon had already done the thing where he made the Anicus dry, except during rainy seasons, so I guess they had come during a not rainy season. So a connection already, right? So Emimone, a daughter of his, uh, a daughter of Danaeus, that is, while searching for water, got bored and began to chase a deer. She then threw a javelin at the deer, but it missed and struck a sleeping satyr who began to chase her. Poseidon rolled up and scared the satyr away. Apparently, Poseidon she found less unattractive than the satyr, so she just slept with him, and she later bore the famous seaman, Nauplius, who I will digress about at a different time. On top of that, he made a Poseidon made a stream of, a wa of water by striking a rock, which was named the River Amimone, for a while before it got called the Spring of Lerna. The reason it was dry again was because of the whole Inachus and Poseidon thing we spoke of earlier. Then, so now ending that digression, so then, having come to Argos, two different things may have taken place. Either when they came, either one, when they came, Danaeus argued he was descended from Io, so he should be the ruler, but because Galanor, king of Argos, at the time was a son of Stenelas, and therefore a descendant of Io via Feronius, uh, it wasn't a really good claim. But the night before the judgment, a wild wolf came and killed the lead bull of the herd of cattle, and it was thought Danaeus the wolf and Galanor the lead bull, so they wisely put him on the throne. Although, I feel like, I don't know how wise that is that you would put the wolf on the throne. After this, he dedicated a temple to Apollo Lycius, god of wolves, or like the wolfish Apollo. Uh, or, the second version, is Danaeus and company arrived and begged from the king of Argos at the time Pelascus and the Argives to defend them from the sons of Aegyptus, who had been ordered to hunt the sisters down until Danaeus was dead. Either way, somehow, Danaeus ends up having his daughters marry the fifty sons of Aegyptus, and on the wedding night they were all given daggers by Danaeus, with which they were to kill their husbands. Everyone did it, except for Hypermnestra, the oldest, who helped save her husband Lynceus, since he spared her virginity and she was very touched by that. She helped him escape to Lyrkea, and he lit a signal fire there to indicate he was safe, and she did the same at Larissa. Eventually, Danaeus somehow found it hard to offer his daughters off as brides. Wonder why it's so hard. So he had people run foot races for them and also offered shields. Eventually, they got dunked on in the underworld, uh, the Danaeids, by having to carry water in leaky jars that had to forever be refilled. So, Danaeus eventually just died and was succeeded by Lynceus. Aegyptus just eventually retired to Aroe, uh, A-R-O-E, after all his sons died and died there. The significance that comes from this story are their descendants. So, Lynceus and Hypermnestra bore Abbas, who fathered by Aglaia, daughter of Mantineus, Acrisius and Proetus, and Idomene. The sons were said to have quarreled in the womb, and Acrisius eventually was the grandfather of Perseus, a very famous hero we'll get to talk about, and Proetus was eventually, or Proetus, Proetus, was, was involved in Perseus and Bellerophon stories, whether it be directly or indirectly. 
We will talk about both of those later, but the importance of it is really what comes out of these stories. You know, like who who are the rulers that come out of it? How do the bloodlines and descendant lines keep going? And that's how we can map out a lot of myth. Next, we have Ithila. Kind of a random story, kind of a good one to know, I would say. She was a daughter of Laomedon and sister of Priam, and she was one of the many concubines post-Trojan War. So she was given to Protesilaus, son of Iphiclus and Astyache, and his companions. When the ship had to sail along the coast of Thrace at Palini, maybe Palini rings a bell with the whole giants, uh, to take on water after a storm, she incited her fellow prisoners by reminding them of Troy and pointing out it can only get worse from here. So she was like, let's burn the ships. They all went for it, and this led to Protesilaus and company founding the town of Scione. Next, we have Agamedes and Trophonius. We have talked about Agamedes and Trophonius already in the past, but this is where I'm going to detail a bit more about who they are and a little more about their stories to flesh it out. So, a legendary mythological duo, right? But they're apparently a bit more complicated in terms of their family than I've initially uh, led you to believe. So, Agamedes and Trophonius are thought to be an explicit duo of brothers, but sometimes Agamedes is said to be the son of Stymphalus, while Trophonius is said to be the son of Apollo by Epicaste, the wife of Agamedes. Epicaste is also said to have borne to Agamedes another clever architect named Cercyon. So, the duo is usually super famous for having built the following things. Besides the royal tre treasury for Hyraeus we already talked about, uh, there's also the marriage chamber of Alcmene at Thebes, the temple of Apollo at Delphi, the temples of Poseidon in Arcadia between Mantinea to Tegea. So we already talked about uh, the royal treasury for Hyraeus, so I'll only mention a little more details. It is thought that Hyraeus consulted Daedalus actually to help against the robbery, and at Lebedias, as we as I mentioned last time, where we saw Agamedes get swallowed up, there is said to be an oracle of Trophonius in like the woods near Lebedias. In one obscure version of Agamedes and Trophonius' story, they built a temple to Apollo and asked for payment. Apollo then said that he would pay them at the end of the week and just to lead a happy life in the meanwhile. They did, and on the eighth night, they died peacefully in their sleep, which is usually thought to be one of the greatest ways to die in myth. Um, it's either dying in your sleep or dying, well, I guess peacefully, not just dying in your sleep, right? It'd be pretty awful to get stabbed to death while you're asleep, um, or dying young. So that was just like a little, like, neat, like, oh, this is another little story about Trophonius and Agamedes. Next, we have Agron. So Agron lived on the island of Kos. He was the son of Eumelus, son of Merops the giant, and Clymenian Oceanid, and brother of Bissa and Meropis. They lived on a farm estate where they just produced really productive crops, so much so that they only worshipped Gaia and no other goddess, no other gods or goddesses. What that means is, is like, there are a couple of examples provided. When they were invited to a festival for Athena, Agron said he did not like women with owl eyes. When they were invited to a festival for Hermes, he said he did not like thieves. And when they were invited to a festival for Artemis, he said he did not like women who ran by night. Pretty much. He was just really rude to all the gods. So, Athena, Artemis, and Hermes decided to take it upon themselves to visit the home of Eumelus as two girls and a shepherd. While there, Hermes invited that family to come to a banquet in honor of Hermes. 
At the same time, he told the daughters to go to the woods of Artemis and Athena for another ceremony. When Meropis heard the name Athena, she began to insult her. Immediately, Meropis got turned into an owl, Bissa became a seagull, Eumelus a crow, and Agron a plover. But yeah, so this is like a, you know, a really random story. Um, not necessarily one you need to know, but just like a fun little story with a bunch of little transformations that tend to occur. Next, we have Alalcomenus. He was a hero who founded the town of Alalcomenai in Boeotia. Allegedly, he founded the hero Games of Zeus and Hera. What the hero Games is, is the marriage cer- ceremonies symbolizing the marriage of Zeus and Hera. This tradition also existed for Cronus and Rhea and Uranus and Gaia. This is the whole concept of the sky deity and Mother Earth marrying and becoming one unit. So it's like a very significant tradition. He is also said to have reared Athena, actually. And in one more fun little story, Hera came to him and complained of Zeus's infidelities, and he advised her to just solemnly walk through the streets with a statue of oak made of himself and have a retinue follow as if a marriage procession. This created the festival of Daedalus, I have no idea why it's named that, which was thought to renew and revive the divine marriage. So this is like a really obscure story um, that's just kind of fun to know, and again, being a foster parent is always interesting to note and keep in mind. Um, I really put this in because my senior year when I was competing on the test, this question showed up, and I was like, where is this? And so in one of the dictionaries, the Grimal, it is a lot more fleshed out, but in the uh, trip, the other dictionary the by Edward, the handbook, handbook of Meridian Classical Mythology, it's like three lines. And I was like, are you serious? You asked a question about this? But anyways, this is the story. Then we have Alcathous. So this is actually a pretty notable story that you should keep track of um, while studying mythology. So he was a son of Pelops, son of Tantalus and Dione, and Hippodamea daughter of Oinomaeus and Asteropi the Pleiad, or Everiti, daughter of Chryseus, or Eurythoa, daughter of Danaeus. So he came to Megara where he slayed a lion, maybe the Cithronian lion, just depends on who's saying it, uh, for King Megarius, and won the hand of Euykme. The reason he slayed this lion was because King Megarius had lost his son Euippus, E-U-I-P-P-U-S, to this lion and wanted someone to slay it. So he literally just deserts his former wife, Pyrgo, for her. Like, just drops her and moves on. So he becomes the king of Megara. He rebuilt the city walls with Apollo, as the Cretans under Minos had attacked and destroyed the walls under the reign of Nisus. Apparently, Apollo laid his lyre while building these walls, so when someone struck the wall with a pebble, it reverberated and gave out a musical sound. He then, by you like me, had two sons named Ascipolis and Callipolis, as well as three daughters named Paraboya, Automedusa, and Iphanoi. When Ischipolis was killed during the Caledonian boar hunt, Callipolis rushed to where his father was sacrificing to Apollo and interrupted the rite. Alcathous killed him on the spot for impunity with a burning log, not realizing why Callipolis had come. For this crime, he got purified by Polyadus, the seer that we'll get to talk about. He eventually left his throne to his grandson Ajax Telamon, son of his daughter Paraboya and Telamon. His daughter Automedusa went on to marry Iphicles, brother of Heracles, and son of Amphitryon and Alcmede. What the story should really tell you, besides, you know, Alcathos' story being so important, is how important children are, and who are their descendants, and how are they related to everyone else in myth. Because you start seeing how 
these family trees get interwoven and how these stories get connected and how people are related to each other. Then next, we have Alcon. Alcon was a Cretan archer and companion of Heracles who was apparently just a beast. He straight up just never missed. Examples given, he could shoot an arrow through rings on a man's head and could split an arrow in a half and can split an arrow in half on a blade set up as a target. Allegedly, he killed a snake attacking his son without harming his son. Sometimes, though, this is detailed about an Athenian Alcon who was the son of Erechtheus and father of Phalerus, an Argonaut. So, again, you can already see the conflagration and the conflicting stories of a Cretan archer as opposed to Athenian archer um, because they both want claim to such a legendary uh, archer. But a big thing is, especially for the Argonauts, is usually they were thought to all be just these really important people, so it would be natural for them to have really important parents, and that's why the connections also get related that way. Next, we have Alebion and Ligus. They were both sons of Poseidon, and they also had a brother named Darkness, who's not, I guess, nearly as important. Ligus, eponymous for the Ligurian people, led his people against Heracles to steal the cattle of Geryon from him, as Heracles was passing through with the cattle. Heracles began to run short out of arrows trying to shoot them all, and eventually he prayed to Zeus for help, and Zeus sent a pile of stones to rain down from the sky by which he fended off the rest of the Ligurians. The plains of Krau are said to reflect this due to the insane number of rocks there. This is just one of those funny side stories in the Heracles story that we'll get to go over again later, but there are so many little side stories that you should know just because they're like oh wow this is kind of interesting and this like relates a story that's seemingly so important but doesn't get talked about that often finally we have Aleus. Aleus was an arcadian king and son of aphedas son of arcas who ruled from tegia when ipetus not the heraclid though died he married naira daughter of his brother perius and fathered upon her a daughter named Algi, and three sons lycurgus amphidamas and cepheus Aleus had a story where he really liked his grandson Ancaeus, son of Lycurgus, and tried to hide his armor to prevent him from going with the Argonauts. But the famous stories are really with his children, so we'll detail them now. So Alge, she was a priestess of Athena at Tegia, for some reason that is just a buzzer clue, and Heracles slept with her on his way to wage a war on King Algeus, not knowing that it was Aleus' daughter, or maybe he did, depends on your version. Because she bore the child in the temple of Athena, the land became barren. Aleus asked the Delphic Oracle what was up, and he found out the shrine had been polluted, and thus he found the child. He exposed the child on Mount Parthenius and turned Alge over to Nauplius, our famous seaman, to be sold or drowned. He decided to sell her either directly to Teuthras, king of Teuthrania, or to Carian sailors who sold her to Teuthras, because Nauplius thought, eh, the money's worth it. So Teuthras and Alge fell in love and married. Now, her child was found by the shepherds of King Corythus and named him Telephus as he had been suckled by a doe. Then, when he came of age, he asked the Delphic Oracle whose parents are and found out he needed to go to Mysia, where he met his mom, was adopted by Teuthras, and was married to Argiope, Teuthras' daughter. That's a very direct story and a very direct conclusion, um, but there's now a much more fun version that Hyginus has provided us, another just obscure author, or not obscure, but just another ancient author to know. So, he was actually, Telephus that is, was exposed on Mount Parthenius the same time as Atalanta, famous heroine who was super swift, 
she was exposing her son Parthenopius, her child by Meleager, son of Oeneus and Yalthaia. He and Parthenopius both went to Mysia, and he was told if he helped Tuthras in a war against someone named Idas, he would win the hand of Tuthras's daughter, now Auge. Eventually, he does, and when they are about to sleep, she tries to kill him with the sword, but a great serpent comes between them. She confessed her crime, and he was going to kill her until she cried out to Heracles, and then they both realized who the other was, and they returned to Arcadia together. Such a random and bizarre version of the story, but it is another story version that does occur and is something to know. Uh, Algae's story is super important. Next, we have Lycurgus, the only like other really significant child, as the other two just aren't. Um, so he was the eldest son of Elaeus and stayed behind to inherit the throne while his brothers Cepheus and Amphidamas accompanied his son Ancaeus, uh, son of Ancaeus was his son by Cleophile or Euronome, to the Argonauts. He had other sons, of whom Epochus died young, Amphidamas and Iasus were more famous for their kids. And apparently Lycurgus may have outlived all his sons as Ancaeus died to the Caledonian boar, and he eventually left the throne to his nephew Echemus. Amphidamas, Lycurgus's son, was the father of Melanion, a possible, a possible husband of the huntress Atalanta, and Antimache, wife of Eurystheus. Then Iasus was the father of Atalanta by Clymene in one version, and he actually devised the foot race that she constantly competed in to preserve her virginity. Uh, this was all done after he had already exposed her in a forest where she got suckled by a bear and rescued by a huntress. The other Amphidamas and Cepheus, who we talked about with Elias, are not really significant besides they helped rule with Ancaeus when they were like super old and had come back. Uh, but that's just in one version of uh, this like succession line and what happened, who died before who and all that. So yeah, that is pretty much everything uh, this last episode of the quote-unquote season. And... Yeah, I hope these stories were a lot of fun and really interesting to learn. They are not super, super, like, complicated. They're just a lot of random stories that you just may not ever get to hear otherwise. Um, as always, I hope it was a lot of fun and educational. If there are any comments, questions, suggestions, concerns, or complaints, you always have my email. Otherwise, I will see you next time when we start the Olympian deities section and we'll have just profiles on all the deities and who are their kids and who are their kids and why are they significant and all that jazz. Uh, if there's not, that's pretty much it. And if there's nothing else, yeah, I'll see you next time. Take care.